be cheap. All right, we're going to get into the word tonight. You ready? I want to dig deep into two verses of scripture. And two verses might seem like nothing, but two verses from the perfect, inspired word of God has the power to change everything. Amen? And so that's the heart that we're coming with tonight. And I believe the word tonight is actually going to draw us closer in our relationships with each other as the church, focusing on followers of Jesus and their relationship together. How close are your relationships with your fellow followers of Jesus? You know, it's really easy to feel a bit like an outsider in a family. Christmas time might remind you sometimes, you know, you might be the person like me, I'm a bit introverted. I like to hang out the back and just sort of eat the Cabanossian cheese, not make a spectacle. There's been a bit of a theme of that lately. But it is easy to feel a little bit like an outsider in the family. But then there's also others who sort of lead the way. And so I, I believe God's word is going to help us tonight, really help us to grow stronger relationships. Um, so let me pray over this word and we'll get into it tonight. All right. Father God, we come before you. And Lord, we thank you for the gospel of John. Lord, we thank you for John's life and his commitment, God, to uh, writing down your words. And, and, and we, we are the beneficiaries of that. And so we just come very humbly, Lord, before your word. And we ask you, Lord, to light it up by your spirit and to move us forward, Lord, into everything that you have for us tonight from your word. Jesus' name, and everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right. So we're digging into John chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. Now, Jesus is praying in this moment. This is a recorded prayer of Jesus, and it's after the Last Supper, the disciples' feet freshly washed. Well, actually, not freshly washed. This is at the end of the night. And after some final words that he gives to the disciples... And we're starting close to the end of the prayer, but we're sort of going to jump between it a little bit. But it says this in verse 20. I am praying not only for these disciples, the ones who were around the Last Supper, except for Judas, he's walked out at this point, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's believers in 2022 right now. I pray that they will all be one. Everyone say one. Everyone say it with an index finger. Say one. Perfect. Just as you and I are one. Now this is Jesus praying to the Father. So just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Now, if we zoom in here a little bit, the message seems pretty simple from this passage, right? Jesus prays that they will all be one. Who is they? Well, the disciples, first of all, and then the future disciples, both now and future. And Jesus asks the Father, or he prays, that they all will be one. A single unit, no division, just like the number one means one. Although we have an example of three meaning one in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. 
three but one, right? If you follow the Rugby League World Cup, you know, Samoa, a team of amazingly awesome, talented athletes, but one team, yeah? Many, one, my body, many parts, big nose, long lanky arms, but yet one body, Matt, all working together. Now, at this moment, the disciples did have the opportunity to divide. Judas has left the building. Some could have gone with him, but Judas wasn't part of them. He's out of the picture. They remained one at that moment. So, very simply, we're learning from this passage tonight in God's Word that oneness between disciples is God's will. Oneness between disciples is God's will. Simple message, but what does oneness look like? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 21. He says, just as you and I are one, so we've got an example here, we've got a model, as you are in me and I am in you. Now, there's a type of unity here. And it looks like the unity between Father God and Son Jesus. Now stick with me because we're, we're diving deep down the ocean to the depths of the ocean and we're going to pick up treasure down there, lost city of Atlantis, okay? You've got to follow the thread, okay? So you're with me so far? Okay, there's a type of unity, Father God and Son Jesus. We've got the example. We've got to look in the scripture to find it. We know that not all unity looks the same. Okay, your human relationships, the way that you express your friendship. Now, being a youth pastor, I see some very unusual ways that teenagers express love to each other through unusual methods, things, saying, it looks like it's violence, but actually it's love, okay? So we know that unity can look in many different ways, but what does father and son unity look like? Now, you might think of dad helping his son with the bike, you know, that example. But we've got to look a little bit earlier in John to see what this looks like a bit better. So John 17, it's actually known as, well, a few, few different things in tradition. The farewell prayer of Jesus and the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And both names actually work because the farewell prayer is this is the final moments before Jesus is going to be arrested and crucified. So farewell prayer. This is the final prayer that we see. The high priestly prayer works because, I mean, as Jeremiah was describing with the communion talk, Jesus' death is the final high priestly act. Okay, his death actually pays for all the sin of the worlds, just like the high priest did once a year under the old covenant. And I know I'm spitting facts at you and you're going, okay, how is this all going to come together? But this is essential to understanding the type of oneness Jesus is talking about here, okay? So we're going to jump back 20 verses to the start of John 17. And we're really looking to ask, what does this unity look like? What does unity between father and son look like? Because that is the kind of unity that God wants between his followers, okay? Are you with me? You're not comatose right now, are you? You're here. Let's do it. All right. Here we go. Verse 1, it says this. 
After saying all these things, you're going to have to go back and read John 16 to see that, but he's talking to his disciples about the Spirit coming, that wars and famines are going to come, a whole bunch of different things. After saying all these things to the disciples, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Now, there's a lot in this, but I want you to see a bit of a back and forward that happens here in a couple of these verses. In verse 1, if we can sort of keep this up on the screen, it might make it a little bit easier to this passage here. All right? In verse 1, it says this, Jesus prays, glorify your son. Okay? And then a little bit later, it says, so he can give glory back. You see the back and forward. There's an action of the Father and an action of the Son. Now, how is Jesus about to be glorified? Well, Jesus was about to be glorified. Think of like, you know, winning a championship, right? We give glory, you know, to those who uh, win something, okay? Jesus is about to be glorified through death on a cross. It's an unusual kind of glory, but the cross was God's answer to this prayer. Right? This is about to happen. So, the Father is going to glorify His Son through the cross, and Jesus, through that act, is going to give glory back to His Father. It's mutual. Right? Verse 2. Give your Son authority, the Father's act, so He can give eternal life to each one you have given him. You know, we've seen lately the, the ceremony of the queen's death and then soon the crowning of King Charles. We sort of see this authority bestowed on Charles, my middle name. I'm, I think I'm actually partly named after the, the line of the English throne. My mum's a very passionate royal as an English citizen. But you thought King Charles had an awesome ceremony. Jesus' resurrection was a crowning of the authority over life and death. So he's glorified through death, and then he's given authority through his resurrection, the power over life and death. And so there's this exchange that happens, and he grants eternal life to all those who are his through faith. There's a back and forward exchange here between the work of the Father and the work of the Son. Do you see it yet? Do you see the Father and Son working together? Well, probably not. I'm going to keep digging. All right, stick with me here. In verse 5, Jesus says, Father, bring me into your glory. Sorry, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Now, what is he talking about here? 
Well, if you were to read John from cover to cover, from chapter 1 to chapter 21, this phrase here would actually really stand out to you because right at the start of the book, it says this in verse 3 of chapter 1. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word, which is Jesus, gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. God speaks creation. The Son acts, brings it about. The Son speaks, glorify your Son, and God acts. He comes through. He does it. So, that's a whole lot of theological stuff here. But what does this mean for oneness between followers of Jesus, right? What does this mean, this just as I'm in you and you are in me so that they will be one together? What does that actually mean? Right? I don't think it's just a let's just keep the peace kind of unity, like a, we're in each other's atmosphere but we don't really, you know. It's, it's more of a let's die for the sake of each other unity. I'm going to say, that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, oneness. And I keep doing this because I, I see oneness like this. So if I'm doing that, I'm not doing a ninja thing. I realize I just picked up on myself, okay? I'm not praying. When I, when I say oneness, I'm doing a hand action. So I want you to remember that, okay? But that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, oneness, is a mutual surrendering to each other. It's a mutual surrendering to each other. It's why Jesus says in John 15, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. It's why Jesus commands in Matthew 16, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, surrender, take up your cross and follow me. Just as a relationship with God is actually defined by surrender. Now, this is what happens when you follow Jesus. You don't just keep doing what you're doing and add Jesus into your life. The call is to actually completely surrender your life over to God and follow him. This mutual surrender, okay? Just as just as a relationship with God is defined by surrender, with Jesus surrendering his will for the Father's will and his life for our eternal life, and with us now surrendering our will for the Father's will and our life for his eternal life, so too should relationships between followers of Jesus be defined by surrender. Defined by surrender. Not just peace not just love, not just grace, not even submission, really. Those are all fruits, but the foundation is a surrendered life to each other. This is just as you and I are one oneness. All right. So, that's a big call. But let's ask God right now, in our relationships between our Christian brothers and sisters, 
what needs to die? What do you need to give up? What is the thing that has happened where we need to both wave the white flag and say that's over, it's done, I forget it? Young people, what has that person done that makes your blood boil or makes you every time you see him? But right now through his word, Jesus is calling you to surrender it, whatever it is, to surrender it for the sake of oneness. For those who are married, you know, Christian marriage is the greatest example of this. It's the design of it. The Bible teaches that you will leave your father and mother and the two shall become one. What has gotten in the way of oneness? Unfaithfulness, lack of love, lack of care, the pressures of this world, the pressures of kids. I hear Asher saying amen somewhere. Fear, communication breakdown. No amount of sin can stop you from surrendering again to each other and beginning again a pursuit of oneness with each other. Now, I've been particularly challenged by this, okay, because I think there's a, at least from my understanding of marriage, I've always thought of the, the goal of marriage to be faithfulness and even the goal of marriage to be love, right? Make, you know, that um, makes a lot of sense. I hope that there's faithfulness and I hope that there's love in the marriages that are in this room. But how many know that the moment that faithfulness is broken, it's done. And to remain faithful, you have to start again, basically. Otherwise, there's unfaithfulness that's there. But actually, what we see is the example of marriage in the Bible is that a pursuit of oneness is the mark of a Christian marriage. Where Can you see how like you can go back and forward between unity, where even if there is unfaithfulness, okay, you can, you can still overcome that by surrendering and forgiving like Jesus forgives and bring that, pursue that oneness with each other. There's a pursuit of oneness that can happen. And that picture of oneness is what Jesus is teaching us here in John 17. You know, we're learning tonight from God's word that oneness, surrender, between disciples, followers of Jesus, believers, is God's will. And I believe the word tonight is encouraging us to reconcile, to become one again if we are not one, and to pursue it more than we pursue anything else. Because there's a work of the Spirit that Jesus has in mind. And you might have missed it in verse 21 because I didn't focus on it at all. But at the end of verse 21, it says this, 
And may they be in us so that the worlds will believe you sent me. It's a simple formula. Oneness, total surrender between Father, Son, His followers, sealed by the Spirit together, equals people see God. People believe in Jesus. The greatest sign for a non-believer to see God is unity between followers. Why? Because our oneness is not just us, brother to brother, but God is the one we are surrendered to together. And that's where the Spirit of God comes in. Now, I'm not going to dig into this particular passage, but I want you to see how the Spirit of God is working through this. God uses our pursuit of oneness with each other, the pain of it, the hardness of it, the pleasure of it, the joy of it, to make us holy like Him. And I'd love for the band, if they're ready, if not already up, to come on up now at this point. God uses this pursuit of oneness with each other. Jesus prays, I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they will be filled with my joy. What are the things that Jesus told them? Well, all throughout the Gospels, we have Jesus talking about the relationships that we are to have with each other, right? That if you hold anger in your heart or if you don't forgive or if you uh, hold resentment, that that's not God's will, and the way to resolve it is obviously to love, to overcome, to forgive. So I told them many things, all those things that Jesus has told us about how to, to overcome sin and how we should live while I was with them in this world, so that they would actually be filled with joy. Because when relationships go well, usually joy follows more than if they go badly. But here's the power. In verse 17, it says, Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. When we obey the words of Jesus, when we wash each other's feet, when we do what love requires, when we love like Jesus loves us, the Spirit does a a refining work, a refining work on us through our relationships with each other. We go from two sinners who can't get along or can't figure it out to one made in the image and perfected in the image of his son, believers. Oneness, unity. And the oneness means the world will know Jesus and will know the Father loves them. In verse 22, I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world would know you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. So in a moment, we're going to keep worshiping, but I'd love actually for each of us just to stand uh, wherever we are right now. And my heart behind this word is this. Well, I think it's the heart of 
the, the passage itself is that there are so many things that can happen in relationships that cause us to be disunified from each other. But when we come together as the church, both young, old, in between, I don't know, you define old, okay? We have an opportunity to unite again. Just like when we walk into this building and we, we come from our different homes, you know, our own little kingdoms, the things that we're doing, and we come together in the church, it's a symbolic act of we want to be one together. We want to overcome the things that can separate us because we need to, because that's how God works through His church. That's how God's love is shown. So I'm going to pray a prayer and I'm actually going to minister a little bit. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit maybe to reveal some things that have happened in our lives or some frictions that we have amongst fellow believers or some challenges that we might have with leadership or challenges that uh, a leader might have with somebody else in terms of whatever's happened in the past. I don't know. But I'm really praying that there's a, you've caught the heart here that Jesus wants us to be one. So let me just invite you all to close your eyes right now. Open up your ears, open up your heart, and let's let the Spirit just move a little bit in this moment. Father God, Lord, we've come before your, your precious Word, Lord, and we've seen that oneness is your will. Lord, you want your followers to be one, just as you and the Father are one. Now look, I just acknowledge that that standard is way beyond our reach. We cannot do it without your help, without your Spirit's help. But Lord, I'm just asking right now, Lord, that you, would, you might reveal to us the person or the people, God, that we are not one with. And that we've allowed maybe some disunity or some frustration to creep in where we have separated ourselves from our fellow brothers and fellow sisters. Lord, it might be people in this room maybe who've read into a situation or put a perspective on a situation that's not actually real. It might be those who've allowed resentment to build towards somebody because of something that's been said or something that's been done. Lord, it might be as simple as feeling isolated and feeling lonely and not having a fellow Christian brother or sister to be around us and feeling on the, on the back row, as it were, unnoticed, unseen, unloved. Father, I see young people right now where a person has made a decision to do something and it feels like it's the wrong decision. They've gone the wrong way and they're holding in their hearts a, a sense of bitterness for, for what's happened and they're unable to figure out how to move forward. Lord, we know from your word that you want us to have close, deep relationships with each other. And so God, whatever has to happen in this week, a text message, a phone call, an appointment, a words, a, a pull aside and let's just talk heart to heart for a moment. Lord, I'm asking you would bring it. Lord, give us the boldness to do it. Lord, give us the time to do it. We say that we're open and we're bold and we want to be united. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, as we obey your word this week. Lord, we love you, Lord. 
and we know you love us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen.